All right. Well, we're in questions number 88, 89, and 90. The question that we lead up to before we get to these questions is, how do we regularly partake in the grace of God? And when I mean grace of God, I don't mean saving grace. I mean God's graciousness. How is God's graciousness, according to the Bible, intended to come to us to sustain us? What are those streams of graciousness? Has he laid those out in some kind of clear way? Well, he certainly has. So what we've seen so far in the catechism, among other things, is law, sin, repentance, faith. But now we get to this, we're on the other side of what it is to have real saving faith, what it is to be given repentance. Well, then how do we live? How do we live? That's where the, the writers of the catechism move to. Remember, it's all a pastoral document, and it's meant to guide you through. And if you took somebody as an unbeliever, you could walk them all the way through this and use it as a discipleship manual in some sense. So now that we're past faith and repentance, it doesn't end. It doesn't end with 87. We go through 88, 89, 90, and all the way through 207. So we've got to figure out how do we live this new reality of sanctification, of holiness, of the pilgrim's path that Peter calls us strangers and aliens, or other trans, older translations say pilgrims in this world. What is God's plan? And it's not complicated. What we're going to see laid out for us is actually simple, ordinary, and plain. How do we engage in this sanctification, holiness, faithfulness in the pilgrim path? And it wouldn't be simple or ordinary or plain if it couldn't be replicated in every generation and in every location. Because that would mean then that you would disqualify or um, disqualify or discount other groups of other people and other eras because they didn't have access to certain things. But if you have a Bible, should not we be able to faithfully worship God? That's what we're going to see laid out. And it's called uh, throughout history, and it's not as plain. We kind of draw this from an amalgamation of these three questions and answers. The ordinary means of grace. Now, when you hear that, don't think this is how God saves us in his grace. No, this is how God shows us his graciousness. How are we built up, instructed, guided, kept as we walk along this pilgrim's path? It's the ordinary means of grace. That's what we're laying out. And they can be replicated in every era, every location, and on any budget. It's just the ordinary means of grace. So what do we need to have and or do to regularly be strengthened and guided in this life? What the questions are going to lay out for us tonight is just it's three things. The word, sacraments, so baptism and Lord's Supper, and prayer. Word, sacraments, and prayer. That's what he's intended for us. That's what we need to continue on and endure. So let's look at question 88. Question 88, what are the outward means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? So what are the outward means, the ordinary means? Here's the answer. The outward and, here it is, ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. Not, not redemption itself, but the benefits from them, from it. Those things are his ordinances, especially the words, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Two big texts that they cite, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came 
and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What you see there is two of the ordinary means of grace. You see sacraments and you see the word. You don't see prayer. We'll see prayer here in a minute. But this is Jesus as he's leaving saying, this is all you have to do. Baptize. So organize. Lead, lead in the conversion and the marks of conversion. And teach the word. That's it. That's what he said to do. Nothing in there about bounce houses or smoke machines. It's just simple, ordinary means. And so then we have a Bible that keeps going because after Jesus ascends, the disciples remain, become apostles. And then the church, the new covenant church, blooms, blossoms, explodes onto the scene in Acts chapter two. How are they functioning? Well, look at Acts 2, 42. And they, the church, these 3,000 converts after Peter preached uh, on the day of Pentecost, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, meaning gathering together as a church, to the breaking of bread, meaning the Lord's Supper, and prayers. The church, right there, basic. I mean, you're, you're dealing with the men who, who were with Jesus weeks ago. And what does the church focus on? Ordinary means of grace. Hearing the teaching of the word, breaking of bread, meaning the breaking of the bread of, of the Lord's Supper, and prayer. That's what they do. You got 3,000 converts immediately. Man, if you gave that to us in the Western world, we'd be thinking, okay, we gotta divide them up into groups of hundreds and five hundreds, and then we're gonna appoint leaders, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna send you over there. We're gonna, you strategic initiatives are gonna be going, and we're gonna have like, you guys look like this, and you guys can do this. What are they doing? Devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, and prayer. That's what they're doing. And is that not effective? Well, let's look at verses 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts and praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number. All they were doing was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, and prayers, and day by day, the Lord is adding to their numbers. So you see here, and this is these couple of verses, what's missing that we see typical in Big Eva? Buildings, programs, technology, strategy, initiatives, innovation, complexities, multi-layer leadership structures. I mean, we can go on and on and on. It's easy to pick on bounce houses and smoke machines and motocross in the parking lot, but what, what, just other things that we would say, ah, we don't need that, but we do need this. You don't need, it. this travels everywhere. You can do this in Haiti under a mango tree. You can do this in the outback of Australia by a crocodile infested river. You can do this in Singapore in a mega city that's just wall to wall people and buildings. You can do it everywhere. The ordinary means of grace. That's what you need. That's what the Lord uses to add to their numbers. So it's not, oh, if you just do that, nobody will ever be saved. Well, it seemed to work for them. It seemed to work while they were doing that. That which God intends for his 
people to do is simple and it's replicable everywhere. It's ordinary. It's ordinary. It's just we've given up faith in it. So then he says, or then the confession moves to the first of those. So word, sacraments, and prayer. We're just going to look at the word today. And then the sacraments will be next. That'll be a series of questions. And then the last thing the catechism is all about is the Lord's Prayer. So we'll get to these ordinary means of grace. That's what the rest of the whole catechism is about. First thing we're after this today is the word. So verse 89, or not verse, question 89. How is the word made effectual to salvation? How does the word do its work? Here's the answer. The Spirit of God maketh the reading but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Now, this one, we got a bunch of verses to look at, so keep your finger on the trigger. Nehemiah 8.8 8 is the first, first one that the divines cite. Now, let me give you a little bit of background. I mentioned this this morning because it was in my brain, that when Ezra and Nehemiah, so three waves, let me just give you a little bit of Old Testament history. The, the Israelites are carried out of Canaan in three big waves. And then they come back in to the promised land in three big waves. The first one is Zerubbabel. The second one is Ezra tagging along behind Zerubbabel. Ezra's here for the whole deal. And then the last one is Nehemiah bringing in the last group of people. So three waves come back after three waves went out, 70 years off in Babylon. They're back. They've building, they're building the wall. And by this point in Nehemiah, they've built the wall back around Jerusalem, which is not just a, a defensive reality, having to have a walled city for protection, but it's also a symbolic restructuring and reestablishment, revitalization, if you will. And what they do when they get there is Nehemiah's in charge but he has Ezra get up and just read the Bible. Just gets up and reads. Now here at Nehemiah 8, 8, to all the people, and it's all, they're all standing up too. It says, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly. So reading, and they did something else. They gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Therein lies the difference between reading and or, and, or uh, just plain communication and preaching. Preaching is supposed to explain it. Here it is. There's something that's, that God does and there's the hearing of it, but explain it. Give the sense. This is what it means. Everybody says we only believe the Bible. I'm a part of this church, this denomination. I follow this teacher because all it is is just about the Bible, but we're all different. Well, why is that? Because we're all different. We disagree on what the Bible means. So that's what they did. Faithful preaching gives the sense to be clear and understandable. And another site or text they cite is Psalm 19, 7 through 11. So Psalm 19 is the, is the psalm about the two books of Revelation. I'm not talking about the last book of our Bible, about how God reveals himself. He has two books, nature and scripture. Verses 1 through 6 is how God's revealed himself in nature. Verses 7 through 11 is how God has revealed himself in scripture. Psalm 19, if you're going to memorize the whole psalm, that's the one to do. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, 
enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. So the word comes to us through preaching, but preaching what? Preaching the Bible, the Bible, the whole. What else are you going to preach? What else, what else could be said about anything what, like that? That can't be said about any other text or any other person, any other idea, any other collection of knowledge. That's all we have to give. But how much of the Bible do we do? Well, let's go back to the book of Acts to understand that. This is Paul's example. The place he spent the longest in Ephesus, Acts 20, 25 and following. So this is Paul talking to the, the elders of the Ephesian church. He's leaving, going to Jerusalem. He's never going to see them again. He has a long discourse of their last meeting together. He says this in verse 25. Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. Not because he doesn't care about them. He's not trying to say some kind of distancing thing from them. But he's saying this. He's saying, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose or whole counsel of God. Meaning, if you end up at your death remaining under the wrath of God, it will not be because of me. It will not be because I didn't tell you. I didn't shrink back from saying anything that the Bible says. That's what Paul's after. And he says in verse 32, skip down, and now I commend you to God and to the word, there it is, the word of his grace, which is able to do two things, to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Bible has the power. That's why that's what's preached you read it and you preach it. People need more of it. Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in former days, meaning the Bible, was written for our instruction so that through endurance and through the encouragements of the scriptures, we might have hope. Your people, this verse says, will be hopeless if you don't give them Bible. If you don't give them Bible, they will be hopeless. That's what it was written for, to endure with encouragement in hope. And we read earlier through our New Testament reading, 2 Timothy 1, but here's a, a cross-reference inside 2 Timothy that connects these two. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 13, or 14 and following. Talking to Timothy again, his young apprentice, who is a pastor of the church at Ephesus. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Who was there for his childhood? What does chapter one say? Lois and Eunice, mom and grandma. He's saying, remember what they taught you, those faithful women. They taught you the sacred writings, the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise, that's what they do, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then the famous verses, all scripture is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God is the Greek word theonoustos. It's just God, air, breath, inspired, comes out of him. Pneuma, noustos, pneuma is the word for spirit. Theos is God, theonoustos. Breathed out by God and it's profitable 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The pastor, he's just we're talking to, the pastor is worthless without the Bible. That's what that means. Worthless. You have nothing to offer if you don't offer the Bible. The pastor's job is not to be an omnicompetent manager or CEO, just to be a specialist on one book. That's it. That's where the power is. That's where God's invested it. That's what the people need as the first of the ordinary means of grace. And that's what the unconverted need as well. through 17. Famous, famous text, but we can't hear it enough. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Big statement that we yank out and use it for the Romans road, and we should use it for the Romans road to lead people to salvation. But it keeps going. Well, if that's how everyone who's going to be saved, who call upon the name of the Lord, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. Conversion of souls depends on Bible. The most effective thing that you can do evangelistically is just memorize Bible verses and then be able to say them. Or just carry a Bible with you and tab it up to where you can flip to the places you need to get to. You don't have to be a good artist and draw a cool picture of what your relationship is with God or do the three circles or build some kind of thing and show. You don't have to use the evangelical. You can just know Bible verses. That's it. If you know Bible verses, that's it. You don't have to know the wordless book or the wordless bracelet or whatever they got now. Bible verses. That hear, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That's it. Just say Bible verses. Think through history, if you know some history, of the famous conversions. Augustine is converted because a little girl on the other side of the hedge in this Italian garden is swinging and singing a song that goes tola lege, tola lege, which in Latin means take up and read, take up and read. And he had a copy of the book of Romans sitting next to him as he's struggling with all this stuff. He picks it up and reads it and gets converted right there based on the last verse of Romans 13. Same thing, R.C. Sproul, he's walking out of his dorm in college and he's going to, uh, he comes back in because he wants to go to the cigarette machine back when that was a thing. Uh, and then there's two guys in the dorm room uh, or in the common room waiting or in there and they share with him they're reading the book of Ecclesiastes they read a verse an obscure verse about a tree falling in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and he gets converted by hearing the word of God we can go on and on and on to these things that's where God's put his power the conversion of souls depends upon the word and the word preached spoken out so we read and we preach it now then the last question question 90 how is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? Now, we don't often think about that. How are we supposed to hear it? How are we supposed to read it? Here's the answer. That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. One of my 
good friends, pastoral mentors down in Houston. He wrote a book called Expository Listening. Not expository preaching, expository listening. It's basically a guide on how to listen to sermons. And it's pretty helpful. It's a short little book. And it's how to, how to show up ready to hear if that's what your pastor does, which hopefully he is, expository preaching. How do I show up ready for that? And that's just right here, question 90. This is how we do it. First thing is diligence, Proverbs 8.34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, meaning wisdom, meaning the word of God, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Daily, watching diligently. You can't wait for it. You're eager for it. Also do it with preparation. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Preparation means you, you're ready to want it. And what's the comparison? It's to a baby. I've never met a newborn. We've had four. I've never met any of them that were like, you know, mom, when you get to me, you get to me. Just... Just whenever you got time, I am hungry, but you know, whenever, I know you're busy, oh, you're sleeping, girl, just go ahead, I know it's a rough day. They're all, give me it now, I want it now. I am responding to a gut reaction, I want this. That's what Peter's saying, that's how we desire the word, with a prepared, eager spirit, but also with prayer. I think too often, when a lot of times when I'm talking to people, in, in counseling situations and they're struggling with the word or how to apply this passage or they don't know what to do. And, and we even talked about this on Tuesday night one time. What, do, what should we do as we're reading, before we're reading, as we're doing it, at the end? Pray, pray, pray Psalm 119 verse 18. Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. What do you think God would do with a prayer request like that? Nah, I'm not feeling that today. I don't want that for you. No, there's so many things that you could pray that you have no idea if that's God's will. You know for sure he wants you to know this. So pray that. And then you can just, you can just steal the Holy Spirit's words. Pray Psalm 119 verse 18. But we also do it with faith and with love. We receive it in faith and receive it with love. Hebrews 4.2. For good news and gospel came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them. Why did it not benefit them? They heard it, but it didn't do anything. Why not? The verse goes on. Because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They had, they, they had no faith. So it, it's just noise, just a bullhorn. Second Thessalonians, this is the love part, 2.10. And with all wicked deception, so we're jumping into the middle of this kind of condemnatory passage about unbelievers. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, why are they perishing? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So when we come to hear the word preached, when we sit in front of an open Bible, or we're going to have it read every Lord's Day, faith and love. I want to receive that in faith and I want to love whatever is read to me. Next, and second to last, we lay it up in our hearts. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. Another great passage to memorize it. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. 
I have stored up your word in my heart. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Whenever I'm talking to somebody about scripture memory, laying it up in our heart, that's just a, a 17th century way to say that, a 1646 way to say, memorize it. It's like, it's like uh, downloading software. Now, software used to come in a box. It was a CD, and it was outside. Now it's on the Internet. But it used to be outside of it, the computer in a box. And you could be like, wow, look at the box, look at the informational, look what it does. Man, it does all these things. And all that. That's fantastic. But it doesn't do anything unless it's downloaded onto the hard drive. Once it's on the hard drive, you can use it. When it's in the box, you can just talk about it. So that's what scripture memory can become. How does a young man keep his way pure? By hiding your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. The scripture can now, the spirit now is using that and throwing it in front of you as you're walking through these lies for guidance, for clarity, for hope, for comfort, but also for correction and rebuke. And then lastly, it doesn't do any good if you memorize it, but you don't practice it. So the last part of the question or the answer was practice it. Put it into practice. Luke 18 or Luke 8, 15. As for that and the good soil, so that's the parable of the soils. Obviously, we're at the tail end of that. As for that and the good soil, though, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. It does something. They're acting on the word. And James 1.25, he who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, not being a hearer, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer or a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Not just the one who hears it, but the one who does it. You put it into practice. So as the means of grace go, the ordinary means of grace go, we certainly need a recovery of sound preaching and teaching and an emphasis on so much. There should be so much Bible, so much prayer in our services that unbelievers get bored. That, 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 uh, that we don't like any of this. All it is is preaching and Bible, and we don't want that. But eventually they stick around long enough and they do want it because they get converted. But we need a recovery of that because Hosea 4, 6 could be said about us today. My people are destroyed for a lack of... We're destroyed for, by what we don't know. We get bamboozled because we don't know because you've rejected knowledge. And then I reject you, God says, for being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. It's a big deal to forsake the word of God. And what's going on today seems like Amos is all over again. Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord of God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That's the famine in the land. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east they shall run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. May it never be so in our church. May it never be so in our area that there is at least one spring of water somewhere. But we do live in a famine-ridden land. So a recommitment to the ordinary means of grace would behoove all of us. Behoove is a real word, by the way. Two O's in that. It's a good word. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing one more. Father, we thank you for the clarity that we can just go through your word. We thank you for men who labored long over it 400 years ago so that we might now casually stroll through it. May it be impactful in our lives and may we always be thankful and committed to the ordinary means of grace that all we wanna do is be about your word 
be about practicing your sacraments of baptism like we got to do today and your supper like we do every week and then also prayer. Lord, we forsake prayer so often. May we be encouraged by it when we get to that section in the catechism. We thank you for your grace, understanding, and long-suffering with us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.